So we are continuing our series on suffering today. Um, and I was asked to preach today so that everyone would at least have to suffer through my sermon and therefore relate a little more to what's been said. I appreciate the laugh because my comeback was going to be if you didn't laugh, that just made it more awkward that I just said that. And um, uh, So thanks. Um, as you know, and as I've mentioned in the past, uh, I come from a Mennonite background. And uh, Mennonites come out of the Anabaptist part of the Christian Reformation in the 16th century Europe. And uh, Anabaptists, they were a very persecuted group, especially in the, in the early years, first 50 to 100 years or more of existence. And so in my teens, um, as a Mennonite, I, I developed a bit of a fascination with uh, learning stories of what some of these early Anabaptists had gone through. And my dad had this, this massive book, uh, and it really a big book, um, called The Martyr's Mirror, which, which contains stories of Christians who've suffered for following Jesus. Uh, and it like, starts all the way with, with, the, uh, with the apostles uh, and then just goes through the centuries. Um, and, I, and, and there's just story after story of Christians uh, who gave their lives or who suffered in some way for following Jesus. Uh, another, another book I also uh, got caught up in in the same genre, maybe you've heard of this one, is Jesus Freaks by DC Talk, um, followed the song by the same name. If, if you want, we can all sing it together later. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that, was, that also was, was for me just an inspirational uh, book full of just such powerful stories of believers who were persecuted and who even died for following Jesus. And I was, I was captivated by these stories. Uh, maybe because as I searched for meaning growing up in a mundane suburban existence of Abbotsford, B.C., here were people who were so captivated by the presence and truth of Jesus that they would pay any price to stay true to him. That's a powerful testimony. How were they able to stay faithful in the face of such persecution and in the face of such suffering? Some part of me, I think, even thought how cool it was that they could have such passion for Christ, even in the face of death. And I wished somehow that I could be like them. And I hoped that if I would ever face such a challenge, that I would stay true uh, to Jesus. And instead, I was growing up in Canada, which, as we know, is a pretty peaceful place and has freedom of religion. And so for a good part of my life, most of Canadian society and law has valued and practiced a lot of the same things that Christian faith values and practices. So it's been a bit of a surprise and a growing conundrum for me over the past couple decades to find more and more that I feel on the outside of societal va values here in Canada. And it feels like there are more and more ways in which following the way of Jesus will mean that I'm at odds with the values of the society around me. And, and I watch those who speak up and who express their differing values in, 
and that they experience public shaming or even legal challenges. And I start to think, boy, that, that doesn't look like fun, does it? And I find myself starting to wonder how much I should speak up. Because what if I start to face those same kinds of challenges? That probably wouldn't feel great. It's tempting to want to shrink back and to keep my head down rather than share about or live out all that Jesus calls me to in a way that those around me can see and hear about Jesus. It's tempting to want to conceal the truth and values that stand in contradiction to those of the society around me. And this isn't too far off from the folks that Peter was writing to in 1 Peter chapter 4. These were a bunch of Gentile believers who, until they chose to follow Jesus, were just like the culture around them, who shared the same values, by and large, of the culture around them, and who, after choosing to follow Jesus, found themselves on the outside of those values of society around them. So that they were now experiencing persecution and struggle and suffering because of it. So this is what, this is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So we find here these Gentile believers that Peter is writing to, uh, they seem to be surprised by the persecution that they're now facing for following Jesus. And with good cause, I suppose, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, that pr previous to following Christ, they would, have, they would not have been at odds with culture around them in any fashion. And so now for following Jesus, they're suddenly being persecuted for these different values. Suddenly they're on the outside. But perhaps there's a bit of a, a theological surprise as well. After all, weren't they followers of the Lord of all creation? Weren't they followers of the one who conquered sin and death? Weren't they citizens of the kingdom of God? One might ask, if I'm on the side of all that is good and loving and true, if I'm on the side of God, the creator of the universe, why am I being persecuted for it? 
Or to phrase it another way, if Jesus has won, why does it feel like I'm losing? And these are important questions that speak to our own questions of suffering as well. Because we ask, um, why am I suffering? And the question of why we are suffering is, can be important and helpful for us to know. Knowing the purpose of our suffering can help us to either accept what's going on or to reject the suffering. And I think it's worth noting that, that here in this passage, uh, that Peter is, the situation that Peter is speaking to, the suffering that he's addressing is, is specifically suffering for following Christ, which is, which is different than, than general suffering, such as, such as illness or uh, physical or circumstantial troubles. But I do think that some of what Peter has to say addresses that also. And so what is the purpose of suffering according to Peter and how are believers able to endure it? So the first thing he says is don't be surprised. They're surprised. So he says don't be surprised. Um, this, and this, is, this maybe catches us off guard at first because maybe we think, oh, was I supposed to be expecting this? And according to scripture, the answer is yes. Yes, we should be expecting it. Here in 1 Peter, Peter is only reminding us of something that Jesus said numerous times himself. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you because of me. In Mark 13, 9 to 13, Jesus says, They will hate you because of me. And in John 5, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I don't think we like to advertise this when in North America when we're trying to share uh, Jesus with people, when we're inviting people to follow Jesus. You don't often hear people say, come follow Jesus. You'll get set free of some struggles and get to experience a whole new set of suffering. It's a tough sell, right? But this is one of the truths of following Jesus. And I think one of the things that challenges those of us who've grown up in uh, the relative comfort of, of a society at, at peace where we don't face these things is that there are many places, including China and uh, many Muslim countries, where the idea of suffering for following Jesus is inherently part of the choice to follow Jesus. They, they know going in, when they say yes to Jesus, that this could mean um, all kinds of trouble for them, for their family, in some places, to even be arrested and even put to death for that choice to follow Jesus. And they still say yes. That's incredible. How would you or I fare if we faced such a choice? In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. When we realize that what we have found in Jesus is infinitely more valuable than anything else, then we realize that it's worth 
everything to receive it, including suffering. So don't be surprised. And what we're receiving in Christ is better than what we're letting go of. Don't be surprised, Peter says. Suffering for following Jesus is to be expected. The second thing uh, that, it, that it indicates uh, is, is that we're on track. Peter, Peter says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Participating in the sufferings of Christ is, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a phrase that could lead us in, into tricky places. So what it, it doesn't mean when we suffer for Christ that we're somehow adding to the saving work of Jesus on the cross for us. Uh, scripture is pretty clear in other places that we don't add to the work of Christ in any way. Salvation isn't Jesus' death for my sin plus my own suffering um, in any fashion uh, equals salvation for me. That's, that's not how salvation works. Uh, salvation is only repenting of my sin and receiving what Christ has done for me. It's all him. His suffering for my sin was enough. His suffering for your sin was enough. We just get to receive this free gift from him. What Peter is pointing to is I think the very thing that he and the rest of the apostles uh, experienced and rejoiced about in Acts 5.41, where it says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. In the NFL, there is an award called the Bart Starr Award. It's named after the former quarterback, Bart Starr. Great name. Uh, and it's an award given to the player that best exemplifies outstanding character and, and integrity at home and on the field and in the community. And, um, and, and Bart Starr was a Christian, and, and so, so, this, so, so it's based on how he lived his life was how the, the award came about. And, and obviously his, his faith influenced how he was living his life. And so now they give the Bart Starr Award uh, to uh, a different player each year. Last season, quarter, the quarterback Kirk Cousins was given the award, and he was uh, humbled to receive that award, but also joy-filled that he got to be counted as a Christian football player, similar to the way the Bart Starr was. And what Cousins did last year to, uh, to be able to be given that award, it doesn't add to what Bart Starr did. But it does help Kirk Cousins to know that he's heading in the right direction for the type of godly football player that he wants to be. And this, I think, is how the apostles experienced joy at being counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And this is what I think Peter is pointing to when he says to rejoice for participating in the suffering of Christ. The suffering of believers doesn't add to what Christ has done through his suffering, but it can be received as an encouragement that we're on the right track, that we're heading in the right direction, that we're living as as little expressions of Christ. Which is why, again, in verse 6, Peter says, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name Christian. 
So one of the purposes of suffering is that it serves as a marker that we're on the right track in following Jesus. But this one also comes with a qualifier. The suffering only serves as an encouragement if it is suffering in Christ and not for sin. Peter writes, it shouldn't be as a murderer, as, as a thief, a criminal, or for being a meddler. Suffering that is connected to the evil that we do is merely, merely a consequence of doing those evil things. So if you're a Christian and you steal, and then you're prosecuted for stealing, you're not now suffering as a Christian, you're suffering because you're a thief. And so these first three set of things that, that Peter lists, they're, they're pretty obvious, right? Murder, thief, uh, being a criminal, one can quickly see how those things would put us at odds with the law of the society around us. But the fourth one, meddler, may be a bit of a surprise to see there. Because what exactly is meant by meddling? Peter's concern, it would seem, is that believers uh, should not do things that are unnecessary in their expression of faith. That, that believers shouldn't meddle into areas of others and society that don't directly concern them. And, and it's hard to know exactly where that line is. Because as Christians, we're, we're called to follow the way of Christ, even when it's at odds with the way of society, society around us, and, and it should be an expression that they can see. So, so, um, so, how, does that, so how does this work? So, so for example, um, so followers of Christ, we value the sanctity of human life. And because of this, generally, followers of Jesus would believe that unborn children should be allowed to live and should not be aborted. And so, and so this is, a, this is a, a position of faith that stands in contrast to our society and law, which believes otherwise. And, and as Christians, we're called to bless our society with the good ways of Christ. So at what point does, does, living, does our living of this value of ours constitute meddling in society? Is it, is it when we have a conversation with someone who would disagree with, with our value? Is it, is it when we try to persuade a friend who is considering abortion not to have one? Is it when we pass out pamphlets um, near an abortion clinic? Or is it perhaps when we protest or blockade an abortion clinic? The answer seems a little unclear. But what Peter seems to be getting at is that there are, there are things like murder and stealing that are very clearly wrong, and so even if you are a Christian and a thief, uh, you, uh, and you suffer for being a thief. That's the thing you suffer for when you're prosecuted for that. Not, not, as, a, not as a Christian, even if you try to sh share your faith as you're stealing. You get prosecuted as a thief. Um, it's because we did wrong. But then there are things that we can do and suffer for as Christians, meddling, that are more subtle in their wrong, but are still not in line with suffering in Christ. 
Those things where the, where the line of right and wrong may not be entirely clear because on one hand, we're expressing a form of faith and on the other, we're pushing beyond what we are called to in Christ. And, and these are hard to discern. I think, uh, I think what a way that it's helpful to think about for me is, um, is where faith is expressed without love or where truth is expressed without love. When we express faith or truth in ways that are unloving, we should not be surprised if suffering follows. Because in that situation, we're not then suffering for our faith or for truth. We're suffering because we're not, we're not expressing the love of Christ. So if we suffer, it should be in Christ and not because of sin and not because we're being unloving. The third purpose of suffering in Christ that Peter identifies is that it's for our purification. Uh, Peter speaks of the time of judgment beginning with God's household. But what does judgment have to do with purification? One of the things that we find in scripture is that God's judgment toward his people is never intended to destroy, but is intended to purify them. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 verses 2 to 3 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and, pu and a purifier of silver. And so we see this, we see this uh, judgment and, purif and purifying happening um, even as an example when, when God sends uh, Israel into exile in Babylon. That he sends them there, uh, it, it's his judgment that they go. He's judging them, which is why they go. But it's not to destroy them, it's to, it's to purify them. It's so that they become more who he's always intended them to be. So it's not to destroy, but to purify. Hebrews 12 speaks of this as discipline. Uh, Hebrews says, God's discipline is is. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Suffering in Christ is not intended to destroy. It's intended to purify those who follow the Lord so that ultimately we are stronger in our faith so that so that more of the character and the spirit of Christ is able to shine through us. Um, and, and, and so that this, the struggle and the testing that we face, it reveals who we really are. It reveals where our faith and our trust are really at. So that if we let it, it serves as an opportunity for us to be refined and for us to grow in our faith. Uh, one of the early Anabaptists that I used to read about, uh, his name was Balthazar Hubmeier. And he was, uh, he was uh, one of the early leaders uh, of Anabaptists, uh, a passionate preacher. A lot of people would, uh, came to follow Christ because of him. The first time that he was arrested for his faith, he recanted. 
he, uh, he, chose to, he, he chose to recant his beliefs and his faith rather than face suffering or death. But this served as a moment for him to reevaluate. He then repented of that recanting, continued to then preach Christ, so that the next time that he was arrested, he did end up giving his life for following Jesus. But, it, but that those, those moments of struggle, those moments of suffering, served as an opportunity for him actually to ultimately press into Christ, to become more who Jesus had called him and, and created him to be. So suffering in Christ serves to purify us so that we are molded more and more into who Christ has called us to be and is making us to be, so that, so that he will be more and more reflected in our lives and in our witness. And finally, uh, the, the purpose of suffering in Christ is that it, it brings us closer to God. Peter writes in verse 14 that if we are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So he speaks again of suffering almost again as a, as a marker that we're on the right path, but he, he draws on this, this image um, of saying for the, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And it's, and it's this image that, um, that points to God's presence and his spirit resting on his people. Um, and, and, and it identifies the presence of God with his people in the midst of their suffering. Uh, and so this, this, the spirit of God resting on someone, it, it draws up images um, like from Exodus 40 where the, where the presence of God, the tabernacle is finished and it's, and it's set up and, and God's presence uh, descends upon the tabernacle. His glory rests upon it. Um, or, or like in the, in the book of Acts uh, chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit descends in tongues of fire on the disciples uh, of, of Jesus. Or, or like again in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, when he's being stoned and he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, the glory of God rests on his people. And so Peter indicates suffering for Christ as a marker of God's spirit in our lives that has the purpose for us to be close to him in the midst of suffering. And can I say, I think this is the most critical aspect when it comes, for in, to, when it comes to suffering in Christ. I think that this is the most important thing when suffering for Christ, in all suffering. I think, I think that all the good meaning in the world is useless and uninspiring without their being closest with Christ in the midst of suffering. I think all these other reasons I've given aren't enough without, without the presence of Christ in our lives. That meaning apart from Christ's presence ultimately falls short. And so, for example, of this, Peter had all the meaning in the world. 
Because when he followed Jesus for three years, he knew who Jesus was. He'd been, he'd, he'd been taught by Jesus. He'd experienced so much through Jesus. Uh, he, he knew it all. He had so much meaning. Uh, he even said, uh, when, he, when Jesus told him that he was going to suffer and die, Peter's like, oh, no, I'll, I'm going to go with you even. But when in the courtyard at Jesus' trial, after Jesus' arrest, Peter is faced with the prospect of suffering, what did he do? Well, he ran away. He had all the meaning, but he ran away. And then it happens again. Peter and the disciples had all the meaning in the world um, in the Gospel of John when Jesus uh, appears to them after his resurrection and he commissions them. Uh, it says, I send you, even, even as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, that they receive all the meaning they could possibly get from Jesus in that, in that moment. And what do they do afterwards? Well, they went back to their old jobs. They went back fishing. They, they, they couldn't move forward um, into what Jesus called them to for fear. It wasn't until... They were filled with the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that they finally had boldness to endure the suffering that would come for following Jesus. Meaning isn't enough. Purpose isn't enough without the presence of God. But when we have the presence of God, we are close to him, and he is with us and in us, then purpose means something and the meaning finds purpose in his presence that empowers us to endure anything but knowing why we're suffering without knowing the one who suffered for us just isn't enough knowing why we're suffering without knowing the one who is close to us even in our present suffering isn't enough knowing why without knowing who it might hold you for a little while, but it will ultimately fall short. Knowing why without knowing who is not enough. But knowing who without knowing why, that I think is still enough. Knowing who without why, I think is still enough. Uh, some of you have probably heard me speak in the past um, about when my brother-in-law, Nate, was killed unexpectedly in a car accident. It's been 16 years, and I still don't have any good explanation for why that should have happened. No good explanation that would, uh, that, that does, that means any, anything enough to, to quell the, the, the grief and the sorrow that I, that I felt because of that. But I know who is in control and who is with me and who loves me even though I don't know why. Knowing who is enough even when I don't know why. I invite the worship team to come forward. Peter ends by saying, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 
That part about committing ourselves to our faithful creator is key. Because on our own, we can't know enough to endure suffering. I don't, I don't think we're strong enough on our own, and I don't think that we're meant to be. And so uh, we, we were never intended, I think, to have to face suffering, to face struggle, to face anything on our own, that, that we're always intended to be doing this hand in hand with our creator, with our father in heaven. And so in and out of suffering, the invitation is to press into him, is to press into Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he is the only purpose that matters. What matters is that we're close to the one who loves us and who is faithful to us as no one else could ever be. So then where is Jesus in your struggles? Where is he when you suffer, when you struggle? How do you stay close to him when everything is falling apart, when your world is collapsing? How, how will you entrust yourself to him in those moments when it's hard? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you have not left us on our own and our suffering and our struggles. It was always your intention for us to be close to you so that in everything that we face, that you are with us. I thank you that, that as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with us, that your promise to be with us is always true. That, and Lord, we, we know that, that on our own, meaning and purpose just isn't enough. But you are enough. With you, Lord, we can, we can handle anything that comes our way. Lord, sometimes we know this in our heads, but we don't always know this in our hearts and in our experience. So I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, even as you did your disciples, even as you have for your people throughout, throughout history, God, so that we could be faithful to you even as you are faithful to us, so that we, would, so that we could see the treasure that is you, that is before us, is worth everything we have, that nothing else compares to you, and that we can face anything as long as you are with us. So Father, fill us and lead us and empower us to follow you. We love you, we praise you, and we seek you now and this week and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.